This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is werebear. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our 44th episode of Writers Not Writing. Uh, we have a very special guest today. No, we don't. We've got Doug and me. Uh, Doug is waving from behind the glass there, everyone. Uh, it's just us today. Uh, it's a weird day, and I'm going to try and uh, kind of hold that uh, energy, uh, you know, keep this positive and also honest. Uh, so we'll we'll see how this goes. Uh, but uh the first thing that's weird is our costume. So everybody knows we wear our, you know, these elaborate costumes for the show for the folks who are on YouTube. And then we have to describe them for the folks who are listening to the podcast. And uh, I got to visit with my son today. He swung by the house. He recently started at Oregon State University, which has been very cool. And also, you know, uh, dad, uh uh, experiencing empty nest syndrome a little bit so that's been uh, challenging for me to to adjust to him being gone but he's just down the road uh and some friends he went with some friends to the beach and they swung by on their way home just to say hi because he's lovely uh and so uh and he knows his dad misses him a lot so i decided in his honor to wear this full-on um beaver's costume uh the, the 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 costume of their um mascot and i think i'm I, I i got this i can't remember when it was but i i got this for another show so i've i've, I've had this uh, beaver's mascot um and i'm not wearing the the you know the headpiece of course because it'd be very hard for you to hear me uh wearing that but here that is let me show you that piece so yeah it's quite large uh and uh put that over here um and uh so i've got this beaver costume and I I was messaging with Doug about what we were both going to wear and Doug I don't even know how to describe what you're wearing it looks like a pink and purple flower an iris a giant Georgia O'Keeffe painting I I I thought we were going to match and I went with the beavers and you I I am, I am, yes, um, the wires got crossed. And uh, so we do not quite match today, but um, uh, Doug is behind the glass. You can't see him anyway. So uh, YouTube is not going to uh, uh, hide this video, uh, hopefully. So um, it was a, it's a, it's a brave choice. Um, Doug, I wouldn't like wear it out places. Um, and I don't know where you got, and I don't, I mean, I can't imagine where you got that. And that is, it is, it is amazing. It's beautiful in its own way. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a weird day, uh, recording on the seventh. Um, and, uh, those of you who've seen the news, uh, we've got a lot of 
horrific tragedy in the news. And yet on a personal level, it's been a great day. I, I can't complain. Not only did I get to see my son, uh, but uh, today was the Oregon Poetry Association Conference. And um, uh, Kate Ristow, who's an author who's been a, uh, a guest on an episode which will air in the future, uh, uh, Kate uh, asked me to help her kind of uh, be staff on the Zoom room, which was very cool. I got to go to the conference and just uh, uh, you know in, uh, accept invites into the Zoom room. And there wasn't a lot of uh, tech wizardry necessary to run uh, this this Zoom conference, luckily, not, not as much as uh, the, the folks who had to run um, the Willamette Writers Conference, where they had to be shuttling people to all these different rooms. Uh, this one they managed to do in a really clever way into two rooms only. Uh, and so you could go to this session or that session. And so it was it was very manageable. And so I got to see these fantastic poets uh, sharing and write a couple of poems as exercises during. And so any day when I write a, even a single poem feels productive, uh, which is one of the wonderful things about poetry is, uh, you know, you, I, I can find myself saying, here's my to-do list. It's a thousand things long. And I wrote a good poem today and that's enough. Today was a good day. Um, and today I wrote three poems. So it was, it was a successful day in that way. Um, and, so, and, and then, you know, uh, after that conference was over, got a lot of work done on, um, promoting Kate Ristow's new novel, uh, Shadow and Shimmer, which is going to be coming out, and uh, she and I are going to have a joint launch party uh, for my new novel, You Were Warned, and her novel, the third in her trilogy, uh, which is fantastic, and had its cover reel reveal today, uh, and the cover reveal was hosted by an organization in uh, Washington called Northwest Speculative, uh, that is a does a reading series out of a bookstore, uh, and uh, she's going to be one of their readers, and so they asked and we had them do the cover reveal as an exclusive. So uh, follow Northwest Speculative on Instagram and you can see her beautiful new cover by the artist Lee Moyer. It's very cool. Um, so, you know, all these things are are, are good things. And then uh, the, you know, news uh, out of uh, Israel uh, and 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 potentially what will happen in terms of repercussions in Gaza is really awful. Um, and uh, so I am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, holding those folks, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, I, I just, it's one of those unimaginables. And yet I try to think about the, the, the horrors uh, because Exercising our empathy muscles shouldn't be easy, uh, and uh, and and uh, if I think if if we tried harder to imagine the, the the horror that families are facing after an attack like that, I think we would create a world where we would see less of those horrors. So, I am trying to think about those families and their losses and the you know the the fear. Uh, that those families are feeling uh, because of the, the the children that have been kidnapped. That's it's very very scary. So, um, holding all those things in tension uh, has been tricky, and I uh, and I don't want to bring you down. And you are watching this, of course, a few days later, and uh, uh, you know have maybe had more time to process, and I'm sure have seen 
you know, people taking stands on, uh, you know, all, all the hot takes on all the social media, um, much of which will be deeply regrettable uh, to those people uh, in, in, you know, the, the near future. Uh, there will be deleted tweets <laughs> as a consequence of this, uh, because this is a horror and, uh, and, and people feel immediately like they need to say, but what about every other horror? Uh, or uh, this horror is justifiable in some way or 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 whatever. And uh, and and they will regret those things. Uh, there's there's nothing about this that is justifiable and uh, and and nothing about this that needs uh, you know any kind of whataboutism. Uh, and yet um, everything we say about it will be probably too much. And I'm sure I have said too much. So um so that is uh, that, that's that's I, I I should move on uh from the day's news um but uh there were a couple of things that I wanted to bring to this show um to think about and and bring you as the audience in on um one is not sure which to start with. Well, I had this idea and I'm just going to put it out there and run it by you and Doug you and I have talked about this. Doug thinks this is just the dumbest idea. <laughs> He's laughing at me right now. He just thinks this is idiotic. But I think it's kind of funny. Like, so hear me out and just hear me out. <laughs> so I was listening to some coverage of and, and kind of speculation about the um, Republican primary. And, you know, if, if you've been paying attention to the absolute catastrophe that is the, the Republican Party over the last few weeks between their primary of candidates who don't really want to win and their uh, inability to have a Speaker of the House, uh, you know, the, the constant through line in both situations is nobody wants to say, uh, you know, we disagree with Donald Trump about anything. And yet the guy's incoherent. And so how do you always make sure you are pledging fealty to somebody when you don't know the next, you know, wacky thing he's going to say? Um, and and so they're all, you know, falling all over themselves uh, because you, you, you can't be a leader in a cult like that. There is only one leader. Um, and uh, everybody else needs to, you know, needs to bow down. And so this got me thinking. Because I try to empathize and show respect uh, and figure out where people are coming from and offer them the benefit of the doubt. And that has been very difficult uh, when it comes to people siding with, you know, a fascist movement uh, in my own country. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not, you know, making light of that, making a joke of that. Uh, I was listening to, um, oh, I can't remember the young woman's name who testified at the January 6th. She was on Pod Save America. Um, and she was explaining, I should pull up her name, but um, she was explaining how she got into Trump world and the Trump orbit, which is something that I've wondered a lot about. Uh, you know, I, I do not believe that people are, you know, mustache twirling villains. Uh, I, I don't think even people who do really, really awful things and have really atrocious beliefs uh, sit around thinking I am evil, right? That That is not the way human beings work. They all think they are doing the right thing. Uh, they all think they are responding properly. Um, you know, we, we, we justify these things to ourselves. And so, 
um, you know, I've, I've thought about how do people that I once held in high esteem justify some of the things. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's a, a good measure of, uh, you know, the, the things that I believe have occurred, they simply don't believe have occurred. Uh, and, you know, misinformation makes a lot of things palatable. Um, and I'm sure, you know, they would say that the things I believe have occurred over the last, uh, you know, the, during the Trump administration are, are simply incorrect. Uh, and so if we if we can't even start from a, a shared understanding of what is going on, uh, that makes it very difficult. But during the, the run up, during the rise of Trump, um, I watched as people you know, justified behavior that they never would have tolerated, that they still wouldn't tolerate in anyone but him. Um, uh, in fact, if he decried his own behavior in anyone else, they would say, yes, that person's terrible. Uh, so there's something personality-wise there. And I was listening to this, this former aide, and she was talking about how what really got her was going to a Trump rally and not being overwhelmed by what he was saying, but by looking around at the people around her and saying, oh, these are essentially, these are my people. And yes, there is some measure of, you know, blindness, which she fully acknowledges now, uh, you know, that, that you know, that, that, that there was certainly a racial element and a religious element and not recognizing in the moment, oh, I'm saying that because the people around me are white and Christian and, you know, um, but, you know, she looked around at the people around her, saw them admiring him and said, oh, if if my people are admiring him, then I should too. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of that that is happening. But I think that the values that they were looking for were things that they'd been primed to look for. Anyway, this is all a, a long way of, uh, you know, getting at at this idea i had that is very silly maybe <laughs> so consider so i was thinking and i told doug about this what if i announced i was running for president in the republican party in the republican primary now of course not 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 realistic that's going to happen but just as a thought exercise, consider. So, lefty Democrat, right? There's no way. Or is there? Stop and think about it. I could run as somebody who is opposed to the Republican institutionalists, the elites of the Republican Party. And that's a winning platform in the Republican Party right now. Running against the Republicans wins. That's one of the things they really liked about Trump. So I've got a long history of being very critical of the Republican elites. Uh, so, okay, I got that one, check. Um, and uh, the one of the things that people admired about Trump was this idea that he was this successful business person. Now, the people who have looked at it more objectively uh, in, in terms of evaluating who is a successful business person... Uh, have noted that if he took the money that he was loaned by his father and put it in a mutual fund and sat on a beach sipping Mai Tais, he would be wealthier. 
um, than he is now. He has not been a successful business person. He's been a, a, a failure who had a huge head start on everyone else. Um, and in fact, we don't know how much money he has or does not have. And even he will not tell us how much money he has or does not have. He will lie about it, but he lies both to devalue and to inflate, uh, depending on the circumstances, uh, so that he can get more loans by inflating the values and then can pay lower taxes by deflating the values. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, not having a whole lot of touch with uh, honesty makes it very difficult for anyone to evaluate how much uh, money he actually has. Um, what we do know is that it's, you know, he benefited greatly from being in office because beforehand he had far less than he pretended to have. Conversely, um, I am not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I own a small business. I own a I own a publishing company, which some years makes, you know, in in the four figures. Um, so I didn't start off with anybody handing me uh, millions of dollars, and I've run a business which is objectively successful, moderately, sometimes slightly successful in the black <laughs> and so um so maybe the you know republican primary voters would appreciate that um i know that you know my uh my activism seems on the surface like it would be something that uh that republican primary voters would you know it, i'm sure some other candidate would say here pictures of him you know at a black lives matter protest here he is with a black lives matter sign this person cannot possibly be trusted but here's another area where i think the republican primary candidates misinterpret their own party i don't believe that most of the republican voters are conscious white supremacists I genuinely don't. I don't think they think of themselves in that way. And in fact, I think if somebody stood up and said, look, you can vote for me and it makes you not racist, that would be really appealing to a lot of Republicans who have felt like the, you know, the uh, us lefties make them feel bad, right? Uh, I, you know, could talk very uh, uh, honestly about the fact that I think that all people living in the United States live within a white supremacist culture, and we all participate in that, and we have all benefit. Well, all white people have benefited from that, um, and that you know would would not be a popular take, but if the spin was, th this is not conscious racial animus uh in many cases these people are not conscious racists they are people who are resentful of the implication that they are conscious racists um, and i understand that i also do think they support policies which are explicitly and dangerously uh racist and preserving of a white supremacist status quo but those policies are not things that they voted for particularly they didn't think about the policies it wasn't about policy uh i i really believe that i don't think most republicans cared much about what donald trump would actually do it was a it was about teams and so i could run and talk about how i don't believe republicans are conscious racists and uh, maybe that would appeal
Um, but I think the biggest thing that I could offer, uh, which I think Republicans would love, is I could stand up there on that stage and point out that all the other candidates are cowards. I don't understand why these candidates aren't pointing that out clearly. They're failing to recognize that they are trying to win the top position in an authoritarian party. It's, it's acting tough, acting tough, fake tough, fake tough. It's not like Donald Trump is actually tough, but kowtowing to fake tough, <laughs> being the toady who stands behind the bully and laughs at his jokes, nobody who thinks the bully is scary is going to admire the laughing toady more than the bully, right? Somebody needs to say, hey, everyone on this stage, you're all cowards. And I can honestly say I've never liked Donald Trump and I'm actually trying to win. And none of you can say that. Uh, and there, I believe, is an element within the Republican electorate that would say, that's the kind of punch him in the nose, you know, actual courage that is absent uh, in every other level of the Republican leadership. They are all so busy saying we will do whatever Trump says. None of them can say Trump is wrong. Well, you can't replace the, the wannabe tough guy through cowardice. Uh, so this is my idea is, oh, here's the other thing. I would be open and honest about how this is a performance art exercise. And again, I think, you know, people think at first blush, you'd go, that's crazy. Nobody's going to vote for a candidate who is being honest about the fact that he's not taking the candidacy seriously. And then I'm like, but wait, stop. Consider what we have seen over the last whatever, six years. Uh, Donald Trump has never been serious. And that was part of the appeal. I heard people say to me, oh, I like it because he tells it like it is, which did not mean he told the truth. And if you really press them, they understood. He, they, you know, On some level, they knew he was not a truth teller. He tells it like it is meant he was performing honesty in this way that the other candidates were not performing honesty. They were trying to couch things in these careful ways to say the right thing. And he wasn't even trying to say the right thing. He was willing to say the wrong thing brazenly. And they liked that. They liked this the, the person who would lie without caution. And I can be incautious. Absolutely. I can stand up and say, this is an act. And guess what? You like a reality TV star, right? I can I can act the part better than any of these candidates here who are trying to say the right thing. I'll say the wrong thing. I'll stand up here and say the wrong thing. So if there is some big money Democratic donor who wants a patsy who is willing to make a fool of himself and, uh, and uh, you know, just, you know, deal with all of the the hatred that would come from it 
I would love an opportunity to go knock on doors in Iowa and say, hello, my name is Benjamin Gorman. I am running for the Republican primary. I don't take this seriously at all. But then if you like Donald Trump, you don't either. So we have a lot in common. Um, and I think that could be a shit ton of fun. <laughs> so if anybody out there wants a, a spoiler uh, who would just stand up and say, all of these other Republican candidates are jokes. Your primary candidate is absolutely absurd. Uh, and uh, voting for somebody that absurd is the equivalent of voting for somebody as unqualified as I am. Oh, that's the other thing. I have no experience uh, in political uh, office. And neither did Donald Trump. And that appealed. So elect me. I'm just as unqualified. I am the blue collar version of a successful business person. Uh, I have um, no qualms about saying the wrong thing. Uh, and I will tell you that I recognize that you are not conscious of how much harm you are causing by supporting Donald Trump. And I'll make you feel better about the fact that you did a really, really awful thing by voting for this terrible man. And you can fix it by not voting for that awful man the second time. Uh, and then come, you know, the, the general, I would absolutely uh, toss to people who are more qualified than I am because it's not just a candidate we are voting for. It's a whole apparatus. And I, again, I think people don't understand that. You're choosing everyone, not the person. And we know that choosing a, a whole staff of people who at this point, their only qualification will be their fealty to Donald Trump is a terrible way to run any kind of organization. So uh, if you've got millions and millions of dollars and you just want to, you know, uh, cause a little chaos in the Republican primary, uh, you know, Benjamin Gorman for uh, a Republican candidate for, <laughs> for president, only insofar uh, as uh, I could uh, point out how absolutely absurd it is that this person is still even um, uh, being taken seriously by half of the electorate. So, Doug, what do you think? Yeah, he's still shaking his head. He's still like, no, don't don't even play around with that. It's 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 a it's a ridiculous idea. Yes, it's a ridiculous idea. Our politics are ridiculous at this point. They are absurd. <laughs> this is so so stupid uh, that we are even at this place. So, uh, you know, part of me is like, hey, hey, lean into it. And, uh, and you know, I mean, this is, yeah. R run a lefty who hates the Republican establishment just as much as, uh, you know, Donald Trump does. I can, I can do that. I can be that guy. Okay. Dumb idea. But maybe, um, you know, call me. Okay. So here's my other thing that I've been thinking about. And this, I need your help as listeners and viewers. Um, I think that some folks missed something important about Doug and Doug, this, I'm, you know, this is my fault. I have not been clear about this uh, with, with the viewers about you for quite some time, but I mentioned in the pilot episode, if you've, if you've been listening since then, that Doug is entirely fictional. There is no Doug. And I was thinking this last week that it would be really convenient if I had a publicist, essentially a publicist uh, uh, for for the the company, because 
this is one of those things that writers really benefit from uh, is having somebody who can, you know, set up those interviews, reach out to the press, uh, you know, do those things. Um, but one of the challenges that I have faced is that Not a Pie Publishing has had a couple of co-publishers during its history uh, who are no longer with the company, wishing those folks well. Uh, you know, Vivica Sheeran, uh, most recent co-publisher, went on to bigger and better things with a publishing company that's been around for like 100 years instead of 13 years. Uh, so keep an eye out for her. For her. She's going to be doing great things. Um, but uh, that meant it's now back to just being me. And um, so the the you know the challenge that that poses when I am both the publisher and one of the authors who's published by the company is that I can reach out to you know the the media and that kind of thing about Kate Ristow, about M.K. Martin, about Karen Eisenbray, about you know these other Kurt Clopton, uh, they're you know a super guy behind me. Um, I can uh, reach out and say you should have this person on your show. They are, you know, this in incredible writer and they've got this excellent book and you should be reviewing it and that kind of thing. It's harder when I'm saying, oh, and then there's this other author and he's me, right? And I I, I can just imagine when they see my name at the on the signature line at the bottom <laughs> of a press release or whatever, they're going, mm, really, you know, how many books has this publishing company published? Is it just this guy? Uh, it's not. We've got amazing other authors. I'm just one of them. So it was really helpful. It was handy when there were, you know, more than one of us uh, uh, doing this work. Somebody else could be saying, oh, okay. And also, by the way, our our, our publishers got <laughs> some books too. So um, I was thinking it might be really nice if Doug, the producer, could fill that role. Uh, and the challenge is that Doug, the producer, doesn't have a last name. And so right now I couldn't even sign an email from Doug, the producer. And so I need Doug's character to be more fully fleshed out. Doug, what do you, I mean, do you, see, Doug doesn't even have an insight into what his last name should be. So I need some folks to reach out, to email to you know, post uh, in, in the in the comments on the, uh, the 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 links to this show. What do you think Doug's last name should be? Now, some some conditions. So, I don't think it should be so common a name that somebody goes Doug Smith. Mm, you know, nothing wrong with Smith. I know some very nice people whose last last name is Smith. Wonderful people. Common last name, right? So. If we're going to really have this character who is the, the the publicist for Not A Pipe Publishing, it needs to be a name that is common enough that it's believable and doesn't seem like we're trying too hard to make it sound exotic. Um, and at the same time, that it is, uh, you know, that, 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 that it's not too common. Also, it should be a name that kind of commands a little bit of authority, right? Where people are saying, as soon as I saw the name of, of Doug, whatever, I just knew I could trust that guy. That Doug would, he would, he would, you know, he tells it, he tells it like it is <laughs> just as much as Donald Trump. Does. Only Doug is more honest. Uh, Doug is not a compulsive liar. Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a fictional character can be far more honest than than uh, than than some people. Um, and so, I need your help on this. What should be Doug's last name? So please write in, give me some ideas. Uh, 
what do you think? And and I ask guests on the show what they think um, their D&D character would be if they were a character on Dungeons and Dragons. And so I wanted to ask Doug, because I thought that might help us figure out not a fantasy last name, right? The, the name, again, needs to be, uh, you know, he can't be uh, Elvin Swiftfoot, like as his last name, right? But it, it, you know, getting to know his personality might help us figure out uh, what would be the appropriate name. And um, Doug, unlike, I don't think we've had anybody else who has this character, but Doug is a, uh, I think Doug would be a dwarf. We've had some dwarves, but Doug would be a dwarf cleric, probably, maybe druid, um, because Doug carries, you know, needs to carry this gravitas to say, this is this, uh, uh, you know, the book you should take seriously, right? And so uh, dwarves are like, you know, hardy. Um, and then as a druid, he can turn into a bear, uh, a were bear. And that is really beneficial when sending out press releases. Uh, again, it's almost as counterintuitive as me running uh, in the Republican primary. But if you get a an email from someone and you have that sense, that sixth sense that at any moment that person could turn into a gigantic bear, not only will you open that email, but you may even reply. And that's the kind of gravitas that we want um, that we want Doug to have. So again, what should be the name for Doug, our dwarven druid werebear? character um so you know and doug you can feel free to weigh in on this yourself but you know yeah you yeah i mean he's he's really stumbling and every time i look over uh beyond the glass at him in that costume it, it, it is disturbing uh so ignore the fact that he wore that particular costume to this show and and you know what is the name that that you think he should have as a successful publicist and not as a walking georgia o'keefe painting um so normally I would also ask the, uh, the the guest what they've been daydreaming about. And I shared some of my ridiculous daydreams. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, Doug. Yeah. So Doug's, you know, D Doug's daydreams are actually really interesting um, to contemplate. Right. So if I was I was thinking I'm thinking about this today. My so my dog was laying out in the sun. My dog exists, by the way. Uh, and Evie was laying out in this last warm day, and I projected onto her that she was feeling such joy, uh, laying there in the sun, uh, because that I know historically that is something she has enjoyed so much. But I also know she's been struggling with some arthritis lately, and you know, we have to give her some meds now. and. Um, that that is kind of heartbreaking. Um, and so then I was second guessing myself and I was thinking, I think that this dog absorbing the sunlight and reveling in this last little bit of, of warmth that we're having uh, in the, the fall before uh, the, the winter cold, you know, creeps into her joints. Uh, I presume she's so happy. Right. But maybe she's not. And so what is that 
what is the joy that is going on that I can't actually perceive, right? What are the dreams, the daydreams that I project rather than the 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 dreams that I can actually be aware of? And I think that Doug's dreams are like a dog's dreams in that I don't know what they are and I'm plugging them into his head. Uh, and that's one of the joys of writing fiction is it is sometimes merely convenient to give a character a personality that is conducive to the plot, right? What is it that this character needs to be motivated by in order to move the story forward? But sometimes you end up with a character who dreams things that are not merely convenient. They might be idiosyncratic. Uh, they might help us identify with that character in this deeper way. And so uh, think about what Doug daydreams about. The daydreams of Doug um, are going to help us figure out who should be this person who should be sending out press releases, not merely in a utilitarian way, right? Not just because that's going to help Doug, you know, uh, successfully, uh, you know, schedule interviews for our authors, but because it makes Doug more of a three-dimensional character. What does Doug daydream about? Consider that uh, in this next week. Um, while you're considering that, put in your calendar the uh, October 28th uh, launch party for my next book. Um, and if you attend, uh, I will make sure to introduce you to Doug, uh, which, you know, I mean, if if Doug is the big draw at this point, I would be fine with that. I would just enjoy having people at that party uh, at the Rose City Book Pub. If you live too far away and you can't attend, totally understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can, I can have Doug give you a shout out. Uh, and uh, we've even posted some coloring pages so that kids of all ages who show up to the party will have uh, coloring pages to color in. We're going to. Uh, do a fun thing. I'm, I'm excited about this, uh, where we take a couple pages from Kate's book and a couple pages from my book, and then I turn them into Mad Libs, and the uh, the the crowd gets to uh, you know rewrite those pages for us. I think that'll be fun. So it's going to be a very fun party. Uh, so consider coming to that. Um, I better take a little break and let our show be uh, sponsored or let you learn about our sponsor of our show, Mark Jansen, who wrote uh, November Reconsidered. And I wish I had my copy of it in hand. I realized it's in my classroom because this is a book that is so good that it's one of the books that I make available to my students as they are learning about free verse poetry and, and what it can do uh, and the way that a book of free verse can be organized thematically. So uh, check out uh, Mark Jansen's uh, November Reconsidered and uh, we'll come back in just a moment. Thanks. This week's Writers Not Writing is brought to you by November Reconsidered by Mark Jansen. November Reconsidered is, what else? A book. A poetic journey through the month at the leading edge of winter. Part autobiography, part exploration, and about a hundred other things. Find November Reconsidered via Amazon or wherever books are ordered. Read November Reconsidered. It will change your life, hopefully for the better. 
And if you'll permit me a little log rolling, the sequel to my novel, Don't Read This Book, comes out on October 17th. The second in the Convention of Fiends series is titled You Were Warned. Book two will hit bookstore shelves on October 17th from Nautipi Publishing. It tells the story of the return of Magdalena Wallace. The world's greatest writer survived the novel designed to kill readers, and now she needs to save humanity and all the monsters too. In addition to her delightful non-binary golem friend, the compulsively foul-mouthed king of trolls, and the fan-favorite lesbian vampire, this adventure has baby werewolves. Maybe a dragon? Certainly a lot of social commentary and existential dread, a moderate amount of dismemberments and exsanguinations, and jokes. I love these kind blurbs from writers I respect so much. Be warned, this book is packed with monsters, comedy, action, romance, and adorable werewolf pups writes Karen Eisenbray, author of Ego and Endurance, the Daughter of Magic series, and the Saint Rage duology. It's action-packed, filled with fantastic creatures, hilarious and sharp. We meet so many characters and return to an awesome one who is at the intersection of identities and honestly an inspiration, writes Zaji Cox, author of Plums for Months, Memories of a Wonder-Filled Neurodivergent Childhood, and Benjamin Gorman is at least three goblins in a trench coat. There is no other logical explanation, writes Maren Anderson, author of Sparks, who is at least three winged unicorns in an off-the-shoulder A-line dress. There'll be a joint launch party for You Were Warned and Kate Ristow's Shadow and Shimmer, the third in her Shadow Girl saga, at Rose City Book Pub on Saturday, October 28th from 3 to 5. Uh, that's at 1329 Northeast Fremont Street in Portland. Costumes are encouraged, so dress up as your favorite monster or mythical creature, or just dress as a human ready to teleport into the universe of a great book. The whole family is welcome, and the book pub offers wonderful food and beverages. There will be games, prizes, and an opportunity to get your copies of your book signed. I would love to see you there in person on October 28th. Welcome back. So, uh, this doesn't count as my personal daydream, but another little uh, anecdote about the day's events. Um, funny thing happened during the Oregon Poetry Association conference itself. Uh, one of the first sen sessions I went to was uh, by Dale Chaplin, and um, uh, she was doing a session on writing erotic poetry. Now, People who've read my books know this is not in my wheelhouse. I don't write erotica, my poetry. I don't write erotic poetry. It's not something that uh, I am, you know, generally comfortable with. Uh, my, I, I, I tell my students, you know, when I get to a sex scene, the camera pans to the fireplace, right? Um, trying to, you know, improve in that area. Uh, all, all, all writers are, you know, we, we should all be working on our craft. But uh, that's something that I, I, you know it's it's not my normal bag uh but because i was staffing this particular zoom room there i was right and it actually ended up being a really wonderful class uh and uh the you know the, the materials were really really cool the examples were great uh and i came away thinking i should be trying to write uh erotic poetry or at least you know imbuing more of my work with uh with that kind of energy uh and so that was that was all well and good but this was the best part at the end of the uh session we each shared out our poem and we got to this one particular poet and i didn't catch her name uh, but she shared that the reason her poem was not quite as complete as the rest of ours was that during the writing time she was interrupted by a knock at the door by a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I 
you know, don't want to disrespect anyone's uh, a particular perspective on the world and 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 what that they feel called to do. Uh, and, and you know, if somebody feels called to go door to door to uh, to convert people to their religious faith, I certainly can't look down on that if I'm knocking on their door and encouraging them to, you know, vote this way or that way on some state measure or, or whatever. So, uh, you know, we, we, we evangelize for what we evangelize for, I suppose. But I cannot stop giggling to myself about the notion that these Jehovah's Witnesses interrupted the writing of a poem I can only presume would have made them so deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> and it just makes me uh, imagine what if she decided to share what she was doing with them? Uh, and, uh, you know, that might be a, a remarkably effective way to deter uh, certain kinds of evangelism at your, at your door. You know, what wouldn't stop me from saying, I think you should vote, you know, this way on measure this number, right? Uh, that's great. And I got to hear your, your lovely poem. But I think uh, uh, some folks might have found that really shocking. So, uh, you know, that that's what there's a whole story in my mind of uh, the 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 experience of the, the person who is writing erotic poetry or who knows what. I mean, we could dial that up if we were turning it into a story. Uh, you know, they're they're they're, um, you know, perhaps filming uh, and uh, and are interrupted by uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the, the kind of performance could be uh, lots of different art forms, uh, but, uh, you know, any kind of erotic art uh, that was being created uh, in that context, I think, would uh, be really fun. Uh, in fact, poetry was probably easier for her to hide than other uh, art forms might have been, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I still am just getting a kick out of that. So, um, yes, gre greeting uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses at the door with your erotic poetry something I want you to consider for this next week, uh, you know, uh, try it out if you, if you get that magical opportunity. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Of course, I need to thank Max Oakland who provided his intro song, uh, or our intro song. I prefer the dusk. Uh, you can, uh, let him know you like it at Max Oakland with three D's on Twitter. Thanks to Holizna, uh, Holizna CCO for their song kids for the ad break. Uh, if you're in a band, You've got a song, you'd like to get it out there a little more, uh, and, uh, and we can help. Uh, feel free to email me about that. Thanks, as always, to Doug, the producer, for being here, for, you know, putting this whole show together, for the other extra work that he is volunteering to do for the company. Uh, and again, if you have any insight into what his last name should be, uh, I'd really love to hear your thoughts about how Doug can be a more uh, com complete person. I'm sorry, Doug, that sounded mean, a complete person. Like, no, that, that sounds really dehumanizing. I, I, I don't mean it in that way. I mean, how can we give you more attributes so that you can be, you know, uh, more successful in, in, in some other venues, uh, which is not to disparage all that you've done for the show. Thank you so much for, for your work here. Um, uh, you know, please engage on social media with the show. Let us know what you think Doug's last name should be, um, and uh, and any other characteristics of Doug that you think would be uh, would be helpful. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll make him a more complete person. Um, oh, I said it again. Gosh, sorry, Doug. Not again. I'm not implying that you are incomplete. Uh, I am 
that you don't have some of these external labels that uh, that that society demands of us. Uh, Doug the producer is a fine name. We just need we just need a little more. So viewers, give me a hand there. Um, and uh, viewers, listeners, as always, um, our lives need spaces in the same way that a book needs spaces. So take the space you need. And no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. If I take my time.